So now that the word is out, people keep asking me, having superpower must make everything easier. But really, it often makes some of the things that should be simple more difficult. I mean, playing catch in the backyard with my son. Sometimes, you can't control the cannon. The strength to lift a car, that's pretty cool. But honestly, most of us would give everything that we have to be able to lift the weight of the world off of our own shoulders. That is the kind of superpower we really want. Yes, we lifted it. We lifted it. Good morning. You guys look good. You look good. Are you ready for an AFC championship game? You should be ready because apparently they only come around once like in a lifetime kind of a feel, right? Anybody going to the game today? We, we want to encourage you. We'd like to lay hands on you before you leave today. Make sure you are empowered to uh, be sent out from us. We, we, we are all for the victory today. Um, you probably heard this story this week, but good stories are worth repeating. Um, Tom Brady, after living a full life, died. And when God was showing him around heaven, he came to this, this pretty little house with a patriot flag hanging in the window, and he said, Tom, this is your house for eternity. And he said, you need to realize this is special because not everybody gets their own house up here. And as Tom was approaching the front door, he really was feeling special. And then on his way up, he noticed this house just around the corner. It, it was this huge three-story mansion had red and gold sidewalks, had red and gold driveways, had a 50-foot flagpole in the front yard with a giant chief's flag flying, had a pool in the shape of an arrowhead, Kansas City logos on the, every window, and a number 15 Patrick Mahomes jersey on the front door. And Tom said, God, I, I'm not trying to be ungrateful, but I mean, I got a question. God said, go ahead. He said, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all pro. I, I won five Super Bowls, Hall of Fame. God said, what's your point, Tom? He said, 
why does Patrick Mahomes get a better house than me? And God laughed. And he said, Tom, that's not Patrick's house. That's mine. I like it. And I know you're thinking, Jeff, you, you really shouldn't be acting like God shows favors. Like he's got favorites, right, when it comes to football. And I just want to say I'm not acting. <laughs> Ephesians 2.20 clearly says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, does it not? <laughs> First Peter 5.4 clarifies he is the chief shepherd. I mean, I'm just saying, Lord, may, may light triumph over darkness on the battlefield of Arrowhead today. Go Chiefs. Go Chiefs. All right. We better get to work. And my promise to you is that um, the biblical interpretation that I have for you the rest of the way really is much more accurate than what I just displayed. All right? I promise. We are in a series called Superpowers. Superpowers where we are examining the superpower that is at work in every real follower of Jesus. Our key text is Galatians chapter 5. We go to this every week. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And where we start every week is the source of the power. It is the Spirit. And when we say the Spirit, we're talking about God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. Therefore, we're not talking about just a force. We're not talking about an it. He is personal, and he, the Spirit, dwells in every person who really belongs to Jesus, and his presence means super power. We've been taking one every week, and today we land on peace, peace. I think when our world, our, our, our culture hears the word peace, we, we have a way of of uh, immediately translating, it kind of means to be away from everything else. That would be peaceful. A vacation. That's kind of the image that, that I think much of our world has of peace. But when the Bible talks about peace, Old Testament, it's, it's the word shalom, right? Uh, New Testament, um, irene, this, this word peace, it, it is a bigger word than a vacation, uh, to, to, to have this peace is, is a wholeness, it is a completeness, it is to be fundamentally sound, it is to be in right relationship, harmony with, with people, it includes an aspect of prosperity. But it's funny because when I say the word prosperity in our culture, we immediately take that to money. But in the Bible, when it's talking about prosperity and success, it is to be doing what God has made you to do to the fullest. It includes victory. Victory over enemies with the greatest victory coming through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus where sin and death and hell and Satan were defeated. Romans chapter 5 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the prince of peace. Even peace beyond this life. Peace is not the absence of turmoil. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Peace is not a vacation. 
Peace is his spirit dwelling in us. Every week I try to talk a little kryptonite with you, right? Kryptonite is the stuff that messes up Superman, right? He's got superpowers, but when kryptonite is presence, then, then, then he, doesn't, he doesn't realize, he can't, he can't use those powers. What, what is the kryptonite for peace? I'm not really going to go through these in detail. I just kind of want us to be reminded every week, and some of these are repeated every week, like hidden sin. Hidden sin affects peace. Instead of of confessing and repenting of that sin, turning it away from it, we hide it. Or maybe it's stupid choices, all right? Now, when I say that word, I, I, don't, I think people have a way of turning that toward, why would you call me stupid? I didn't call you stupid. I, I, I'm saying you can call it unwise if you want to. That, that sounds better. But in my life, I have made stupid choices opposed to the word of God, and that affects my peace. It does. Habitual anxiety, right? When, you, when worry becomes your lifestyle, that there are some of you either, even today, you struggle with the first thing that comes through your mind in most every circumstance is something negative. You go negative immediately instead of a spirit-led faith and prayer. Worry changes nothing. Prayer changes everything. But worry will affect your peace unfounded fear instead of focusing on the hope of heaven. It's kryptonite. I I have observed that when most Jesus followers speak of peace, we like talking about peace in the midst of the storm. Okay? And that is good. That is good stuff. I mean, uh, we go through storms, and so to have peace in the middle of that storm, we, we, we sang about it a, a, a little bit a, a few minutes ago. But I want you to know that peace with God is, is also an outward effect in our life. What I mean by that is this is not just peace for me, the Bible says this also turns into peace from me. Romans chapter 14 is our text for today. If you want to grab your Bibles and head to Romans chapter 14, we're going to read numerous verses there, so it really is worth following along. Romans chapter 14, I want to show you what I'm talking about here. Let's start with verse 19. It's kind of the verse in the middle that helps us capture what Paul is teaching here. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I'm going to read it again because some of y'all are still finding it. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In other words, this is my point. Peace is not just an effect on my life. The Spirit's presence and power in my life is also supposed to make this a power from my life. Not just on me, but from me. Make every effort to do what leads to peace. Now, as a dad, I love watching my kids love each other. I love watching them interact. 
I want to see them take care of each other. I want to see them watch out for each other. I want to see them have fun together, right? I, I love watching my kids love each other. I want us to understand today that God wants the same for his. He wants there to be a peace among his family. In, in the new member, um, I'm going to call it a class. It's usually an afternoon or a night where people come together who are thinking about becoming a part of Heart of Life. There is one particular part of that material, I would say, that pertains to, to, to this very fact. And, and, and so I, I want you to see it. I'm, I'm framing it in terms of peace today. Here's what, here's what it looks like. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have freedom. Some of y'all just need to hear there are non-essentials. There are non-essentials. But in all things, we have love. That, that, that is the statement that this sort of helps us summarize. This is how we want to do this together. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have freedom. Today we're going to use the word liberty sometimes to talk about that freedom. And in all things, we have love. Lucy walked into the room with Linus. He's watching TV. And Lucy says, Linus, turn the channel to such and such. Linus said, why should I turn the channel to such and such? And Lucy said, I'll give you five good reasons. Like this, it doesn't look like much. But like this, it is a power to behold. Linus said, what channel did you want to watch? And as she eventually walks out of the room, he looks at his own hand and he says, why can't you guys get together like that? I think that might be the question for the church in so many occasions. Why can't you guys get together like that? Fighting to make a difference rather than fighting over differences. Do you know how many opinions there are in this church? Nope, you don't, because you don't read my mail. The church at Rome apparently experienced some of the same thing. They were divided over incidentals. Things like diets and days. We can learn from them. And we must learn from them. And this is the first thing I want us to consider. People who love God with all their heart can differ in opinion. People who love God with all their hearts can differ in opinion. So, how do we get this right? How do we walk this out? 
peace, if God's Spirit dwells within us, His peace, not just to us, a peace in the storm, but, but do everything that you can to see peace. What, what, what do we do? Here's where Paul starts in Romans chapter 14. He says, I want you to understand that peace is a matter of lordship. Peace is a matter of lordship. When we say lordship, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. He is over all. Romans chapter 14, verse 9 reads this way, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Now, I love that because the thing that we think is the biggest thing, right, death, death doesn't even change the greatest factor. Death does not change the great factor that Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Lord of the living, Lord of the dead, he is Lord. And the fact that Jesus is Lord means that nothing else compares in importance to that truth. Nothing else. Like Maybe the issue of what you eat, let's say. Let's go back to verse 1 of Romans chapter 14, and it'll help us understand the context. Here's what he says. Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Here's the picture. Paul says, look, somebody new comes into the faith. Somebody new puts their trust in Jesus. Accept them. That's the message. Accept them without arguing over incidentals at this point. Accept them without arguing over non-essentials at this point. Now here's the context. Some of the people in the church at Rome came out of a background where they worshipped other gods... And a part of the worshiping of those other gods were they would offer blood sacrifices. They would go to the, 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 the temples, the places of worship. They would, they would sacrifice an animal. And so now they've trusted Jesus. Now they have seen the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done for them in his death and resurrection. And so when they see other people in the church who are eating some of that very meat that was sacrificed to those idols, it bothers them. It bothers them because, I mean, that was their past. This is how, this is, this is the darkness in which they used to live when they couldn't see the truth, the light of who God is. And so when they see other people eating that meat, it, it It troubles them. They are struggling with it. How could you do that? And the other people in church are like, what do you mean how can we do that? It's meat. 
Meat is meat. Those, those gods that you worship, they, they, are, they are false gods. They, they are not real. You, you are just offering to idols. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's a Kansas City strip. We, we can eat it. Rare, right? Medium, well done. Well, that might be sin, but you, you get the point. I guess it's meat. And they're looking down on their brothers who are struggling with it. They're looking down on their sisters who are struggling with it. They were becoming divided by their diet. But that wasn't all. They also were divided by days. Check out verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. You've got Jews who are coming out of a context, a background of these high, holy days. And it still means something to them. Yes, they have now put their trust in Jesus, but, but, it, but it still means something to them. But there were others in the church that it didn't mean anything to them. And each of them is looking down on the other one because of their differences. And Paul is declaring in Romans chapter 14, church, it is not a matter of diet. It is not a matter of days. It is a matter of devotion. Jesus is Lord. And when he is Lord, none of the other issues issues compare to that truth. When someone receives Jesus as Lord, then we are to receive them, not divide with them over the non-essentials. That's what he said back in verse 1. I'm going to read it one more time. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. We can be brothers and sisters without being twins. We don't have to be twins. We can be brothers and sisters without being identical. Well, how, how do we know that, Jeff? I mean, are, are we going a little too far here? Or are we reading too much into that? Well, I'm glad that you asked. Let, let's actually see how Paul packs a, a, a little of this. He goes, look, they may be different than you. But this is what you need to notice. You need to notice their acceptance by God. Here's what it says in verse 3 again, in case you missed it. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For, just a little phrase, God has accepted them. In order for God to accept them, he's talking about, look, their salvation came from God just like your salvation came from God. God has brought them in. He has accepted them. They are now a part of the family. If you hurt them, you are not only dishonoring the Father, but you're actually hurting your own body. Next time you think that your difference is... is, too much, you need to recognize their acceptance by God. Then he says, you also need to notice their service to God. 
their service to God. Check out verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. What's he saying here? I think this is what he's saying. Let's suppose you have someone working for you. Who am I to come into that situation and criticize what they are doing if you have signed off and accepted them? Who am I to step into that situation and, and, and instruct them? No, they answer to you. And that's what God's saying here. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Now, I want to be real careful here because God's saying don't judge them in this matter. And we need to realize what we're talking about throughout this talk is stuff that is not sinful. This is not sinful. He's saying whether you eat that meat or don't eat that meat, this is, this is, we're not talking about sinful. One is sinful and one is not. One observes a, a, this particular day, another one deserves that, observes that day. We're not talking about that which is sinful or not. The Bible is clear. When it comes to sin among the body of Christ, we are called to judgment to each other. We looked at that passage in great detail. When there is someone who has sinned and they do not repent, what I mean by that is more than just saying, yeah, I got it wrong. No, repentance is to turn around. Repentance is to change, to walk, to turn away from the action that I've taken back to Jesus. When someone doesn't do that out of love as the body, we are to call that what it is and, and say, look, man, you are headed down a road for destruction. That's not what this context is today. This is matters of non-essentials, he says, where we differ on opinions. We're not talking about sinful stuff. He says, who are you to judge another man's servant? And then Paul says, I also want you to notice their security from God. Their security from God. The, the, the last part of verse 4, he goes on to say, to their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. They belong to God. He is going to grow them. So give it time. You don't need to fight with them on the non-essentials. Give it time. God's going to grow them. Have, have you noticed there is a great temptation with education for it to lead to arrogance? There is a great temptation with, arrogance, or with, with education for it to lead to arrogance. What I mean by that is the more we tend to learn, the more we think we know. And I've seen that throughout my life. I mean, certainly in college, but I'm saying even in seminary, and maybe especially in a seminary training for me where, I mean, we're talking about things of God right? It, the context is, is, what is scripture? You know, what, how, how does this? And, and lots of times there is this tendency to, to walk away with, with new knowledge. And I, I remember sitting in classroom after classroom after classroom, and the person who's teaching, they believe that stuff with all their heart. To them, it's the most important thing in the world. And you walk out of the class going, this is crucial. And a lot of the time, it's actually not crucial. 
Yes, where, where the Bible states something specific, it is something that, that absolutely God means it. He intends for it to be followed, but, but sometimes there's methodology and there's strategy. There, there's ways of seeing things that, 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 no, it's not crucial. Jesus said there's one thing that's crucial. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And he referred to the statement that Peter had just made, Jesus, you are the Christ. That's it. Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. My church should be together. My church should come together. My church should move forward together on this rock. Jesus is the Christ. There are lots of other views, lots of other non-essentials of, of differences that people have. And so many times we want to move those to the forefront and go, unless we got all these agreed upon. No, I'm, I'm saying for, even for us as a church corporately, we should be able to work with other people and other churches when Jesus is the Christ. And trust the fact that he's got us all and he's growing us all. And there are some things that I thought I understood that now I see differently than I did at one time. That means maybe I don't have it all figured out. And maybe neither does anyone else. Teaching is important. But Paul's saying here, give some time. Because God will help them grow. Maybe through you. And then he says... I also want you to notice one more thing. Notice their accountability to God. Notice their accountability to God. Verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us, will give an account of ourselves to God. You know what Paul says? It's almost like, man, you guys are all up in each other's business. He says, I, I want to I encourage you with something. You better get ready to answer to God for yourself. So receive them. Receive them. Issues of disagreement. You say, well, today, you know, it's certainly not about diet or days. Don't be too quick. Don't be too quick. Sometimes it is. I mean, we just rolled through Christmas. And can I tell you that very rarely does a Christmas season pass that someone does not want to address with me how pagan the Christmas celebration is. Like Christmas is pagan, right? It's pagan. Why do we celebrate Christmas? It's pagan. Okay. And there's lots of information. Sometimes they send it to me. Lots of information. So here's, here's where I stand, though. Jesus was born sometime. He put on flesh, put on skin, moved into the neighborhood at some point. And so we are just saying we're going to choose this time to celebrate the fact that God really has come into the world. He, he really was born, became fully God, fully man. Uh, we're celebrating that truth. And you know what? Every year when we celebrate those truths, there are people that come to Jesus for the first time. There are people who take steps closer to him than they ever have before. One sees it one way and one sees it another. So what do we do? Well, here's what's clear. We don't judge each other. 
we don't judge each other over disputal matters. It's not a, it's not a sin matter. Styles of worship. Somebody likes one thing, somebody likes another. I mean, the songs we sing, somebody likes this, somebody likes that. The tempo in which we sing them, somebody likes this, somebody likes that. Some love it, some hate it. It's a preference. It's not right or wrong. How people dress when it comes to church, right? Look, it could be suits to sandals. Okay, we, our view is wear what you want. But don't criticize somebody else for wearing the opposite. Politics. There are those who are like, it, 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 I, I'm not, I, there's, that just shouldn't be even, don't, don't give the impression of, of standing in a, in a political place or, or another. And then there are other people who are like, when is somebody going to speak to all this? One view and another. Want to have fun? Be a pastor. Because it is so easy for people to divide over incidental, non-essential things. And Paul's just reminding us here it is not about diets and it is not about days. It is not about suits. It is not about sandals. It is not about songs. It's about a savior. It's about devotion. Jesus is Lord. And peace is found in Jesus. So real quick, I want you to see a little of the rest of this. Peace is a matter of lordship, but he also says that peace is a matter of liberty. Think the word freedom. I'm just using L's because it helps me remember, all right? So it's also a matter of freedom. Here's what Paul says in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not about this rule, this rule, keeping, keeping this, these, this, this, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is about this freedom that he has now given you. You are set free in Jesus. You have a relationship with him. But watch where Paul takes this in verse 14. Watch where he goes. I am convinced, Paul says, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Paul's like, put that steak on the grill. He's like, I'm convinced, and I think it's from the Lord. Nothing wrong with this. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. So he he says, look, there is an aspect of this where liberty has rights. He goes, I got the right to eat a steak. I do. I have the right to eat a steak. But he also reminds us that liberty has responsibilities. Because Paul begins to take it places like verse 16, where he says, Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. In other words, I know that a steak on the grill is good, it is of Jesus. But he goes, I'm not going to do something that I know that's good where it could be spoken of as evil. And, and the balance that you see in this chapter is, man, there are, there are things that I can do because I have a freedom in Jesus. 
I, I've been set free. I'm not, I'm not following some, some you know, code list of, of rules. I, I am free in Jesus. I, there are some things I can do, but I'm going to give them up because it's no big deal to give them up. I don't want the good to be seen as wrong. But when people take freedoms and make them rights without responsibilities, they wound the body. I'm going to read something to you that um, I first read a long time ago, but I think it, it's still funny, and honestly, it still makes its point. It's called My Seat. My Seat. A lady writes, a lady took my seat in church a while back. It's not that important, really. She's a very nice lady, kind and considerate, a good friend, in fact. There were several other seats available. I can sit anywhere. The, the people in our congregation are as friendly and caring as you will find any place in the world. A, a person should be comfortable sitting in any place. It is no big deal. My seat is in the seventh row back from the front of the church. I, I'm sure she didn't intend to take my seat. She, she just wouldn't do that, nor would anyone else in our fine church. It, it doesn't make that much difference. My seat is on the end of the row, on the north side by, by the windows, on the left as you come into the sanctuary. I can rest my left arm on the end of the pew. It, it's a good seat, but... I would never raise a fuss about the seat. She probably didn't intend anything personal by taking my seat. I, I certainly wouldn't hold a grudge. Actually, it was about three months ago when she took my seat. <laughs> I really don't know why she, she took it. I, I've never done anything to her. I've never taken her seat. I, I suppose I'll have to come an hour early now to get my seat, either, either that or, or sit on the south side. She... She really took it because it's one of the best seats in the house. That's why she took it. She had no business taking my seat, and I'm not going to church two hours early to get what is rightfully mine from the beginning. This is the way great social injustices begin. Abusive people taking other people's seats in church. This is the way the, the, the seeds of revolution are sown. A person can only stand so much. Where is this going to end? If somebody doesn't stand up and be counted, nobody's seat will be safe. People will just sit any place they please. And the next thing they'll do is take my parking place too. <laughs> I'm not going to take this lying down. I can't. The stakes are just too high. It is an image of what happens when we see rights without responsibilities. And I wish I didn't say the next line, but I have seen it happen. There have been occasions where I would go to speak in other places, and I, there have been moments that my family literally was asked to move because they were in somebody's seat. And I wish I could say with all boldness that it has never happened in our church, but I'm pretty sure that I've seen from time to time those wrestling matches take place. God, have mercy on your soul. When someone perhaps lost without Jesus 
would be asked to take another seat. May God have mercy on your soul. And it is not your seat. I've seen it happen with classrooms. It's our classroom. I've seen it happen with curriculum. It's our curriculum. I've seen it happen with furniture. I've seen it happen with instruments. I've seen it happen with times of meeting. See, we have a way of taking a gift from God. The gift is to be his family. The gift is to be his church. And we do with those things the same thing we do with peace. We will take the gift of peace and we will say, what is best for us? Peace in the midst of the storm. But he's saying it's also about a peace that moves from you. We will take the gift of God and we will suddenly make it ours. And it is not ours because Jesus is Lord. Peace is a matter of lordship, peace is a matter of liberty, and peace is a matter of love. Verse 15, Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Pretty clear, isn't it? If they're distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. You think it's too much to give up what you're giving up for them? Take a brief moment and think about what Jesus gave up for them. That's his point. You're like, but I like a Kansas City strip. I don't think he's saying, not saying you can't eat the Kansas City strip. He's saying when you eat that, how you go about that, take into account when you've got a brother who is affected by that. What are you willing to give up from time to time? Paul says, love will not give your brother a reason to stumble in this chapter. He says, love will not give your brother a reason to fall in this chapter. And he says, love will not destroy. So there are times that I don't do something that I could do. I'm actually free to do it. So the reason I don't do it is not because if I do it, it will hurt me. That's not the reason. The reason I don't do it is because it might hurt my brother or sister, who I love. One more time, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Because the superpower of the Spirit is not just, not just a power of peace for you in the midst of the storm. It is also a peace that is to move from you in loving his family. I, I love this church. I do. Um, it, it is a part of why I have, I have stuck around for as long as I have stuck around and want to. I want, this, my, I, I want to finish here. I do. I tell God that. I tell him he's Lord. I'm not, so it's really not mine to call, but if it's okay with him, I, I want to finish here. I love this church. Some of you do too. Some of you have, have walked this out. You, you love this church. And a part of just being really honest today, a part of the wrestling match that sometimes happens is regularly, though, there will be people who, who, who are a part of a, a gathering. They are a part of the mix. And honestly, they could take it or leave it. 
And when people will take it or leave it, they view it differently than when you love it. Right? Because if you'll take it or leave it, it just becomes about, hey, what, this, is what's, this, is, this is mine. This is mine. This is my seat. And this is my whatever. And, this is, and then when it doesn't become about that, suddenly it can like, lead to division if you're not careful. So the question is, how do we do that? How, you love the church, but, but you're always dealing with, with this and with that. How, how, what do we do? The point today is don't get divided. Don't allow division over days or diets or anything else. You know your rights. You're free. But you also know love. So receive them. Receive them in. Generally, people need to be loved before they need to know most of what we know. Now, they need to know that God loves them. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know he is Lord. But before we can even give them all the teaching, they they need to know they are loved. What makes makes Heart of Life great is what makes every church great. He is Jesus. And he is nothing else. He is Jesus. You take the stuff that we do the best and we go, that's what makes us great. No, it's not. It's Jesus. And I just leave you with, think of, think of, think of a wheel. The hub is Jesus. And we, the spokes, are connected to that hub who is Jesus. The closer you get to the hub, the closer you get to each other. Man, I love his church. Many of you love his church. But oh my goodness, just Jesus loved his church. And he wants to see his kids operate with power. A power that makes a difference. Not a power that argues over differences. May Jesus be seen as the king overall. Let's pray. God, there is so much of me today that just feels like we ought to just go for a while thanking you, thanking you, thanking you for the hundreds, thousands of times that you have protected your church where there was potential, there were moments that incidentals, there are moments that non-essentials could divide. God, honestly, with us being a a church of of campuses, God, we recognize that 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 potential perhaps exists maybe to even a greater degree. There's always that tendency of somebody getting more than us, somebody having something more than us. God, it, it it is a game that I believe the enemy loves to play. But God, I also believe with all my heart when we get this right, when we love like you've called us to love today, when we serve like you've called us to serve today, it is 
It is life-giving, life-changing. And when we get it right, God, maybe especially with our setting, our structure, God, it, it is even louder that we are not here for us. God, I'm asking you to hold our hearts to that great truth that you spoke a long time ago. It's on one rock, this rock, Jesus, you are the Christ. And all the other incidentals, all the other non-essentials, God, may you give us grace and love and peace to be able to walk that out together, that we can disagree, we can be brothers and sisters without being twins. God, may this not give us a reason to ignore sin. May this not give us a reason to compromise and close our eyes to that which you say is right or wrong. But may this open our eyes to the power of how you have loved us all alone. You accepted us. We get to serve you. Our security is in you. And one day, we stand before you. God, do in our hearts what needs to be done. I love you. I thank you, God, for loving your church. May that love be clear. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.